Should we be sending our children back to school? Normally an easy question to answer. However, in the midst of a global pandemic, where we've seen examples of other countries that have opened their schools and seen the skyrocketing infection rates as a result, should we continue to march down this path towards opening our schools in September? This is a question that's foremost in the minds of parents, teachers, and administrators. The problem that we have, really, is one of divisiveness. So we have some parents that must send their children back to school simply because they do not have the child care support at home. We have other parents that can opt out of sending their kids back to school. They have the means, the wherewithal to do so. And then we have parents of children that are immune system compromised who simply cannot send their children back to school. So we're creating divisiveness amongst classroom cohorts and schools. And should we be doing this? We know we have the capability to learn online. That capability has been available to us for many, many years. We know that this is very difficult for some students, challenging at the very least, as well as for teachers who have not had the experience working virtually. But given this is a direction that we are heading both for learning and work, isn't now an ideal time to get children, teachers, and parents comfortable with virtual learning? These are all big questions, and this is our episode of The Space. Well, here we are with another episode of The Space, my co-host Cameron Brown, and we're talking about back to school. So we're fast approaching September. Everybody is um, thinking about going back to school. However, nowadays, this is a very different type of question. So what do you think, Cam? Should we be opening schools? Should we be allowing kids to go back? You know, I was uh, initially thinking, yeah, we should, um, because... From what I see on the news, there's so many kids saying, I want to go back. I want to see my friends. And I believe there's a positive aspect uh, to being in the classroom setting. But after last night talking to a few parents and a couple of friends who are, are, are teachers, I, I don't think so. I don't think we're ready yet. I think there seems, seems to be a rush to get back. And maybe it's because parents have to return to work. I don't know. But I think this is a ill-thought-out plan. Yeah, it's it's a difficult question because you know we I know we've talked about this before and it's hard for it's hard for parents obviously that don't have the the wherewithal to afford um, childcare for the kids or they have to go back to the office and there are certain professions that don't allow people to work remotely so it's a difficult situation for them. On the other hand, we have parents that do have the means and the wherewithal and are able to work remotely and therefore they don't have a problem keeping their kids at home and having them learn virtually. And then, of course, we have kids that are immune system compromised. And they simply, parents simply can't send those kids back to school. So what concerns me is we're creating this divisiveness within our society where some kids might go back to school, some won't, some can't. And I'm not sure that's healthy. No, for sure. And as one parent said to me last night, um, you know, she said that if possible, 
uh, they could do it with her parents um, taking care of the kids after school. Because another thing, Blake, we should obviously admit, kids are going back to school, but it doesn't mean there's any after school programs, right? So a lot of these kids at 3, 34 o'clock have to go home. And um, if they're going home to grandparents' house, that's the last people you want them to see, right? Is those older family members who might look after them for a couple of hours till the parents get home, but who are more susceptible uh, to the dangers of COVID. Sure, and even if you were to have the means to afford after-school care, we're creating another scenario uh, for possible rise in infection rates there. So if you have a daycare, you can somehow send your kids to daycare, but then all of a sudden we've got a bunch of kids in daycare, which is not perhaps not that much different than it would be in the uh, in the classroom. So it, you know it's not a simple question, um, it's, and there's no simple answer to it. My sense is though we do need to hold off. Uh, we've seen examples. I mean Israel is the perfect example where they sent their kids back to school in May. The infection rates went through the roof, and as a result, the schools had to close. Um, so then it puts them right back to square one. And I don't think limiting class sizes is going to do that much because all it takes is one child to become infected and then everybody is quarantined in that classroom. Everybody must be removed. Um, and so that class basically is over. So I'm not sure that you know having 10 kids, 20 kids is going to make that much of a difference. And then, of course, Kids have to go between classes. That means they're out in the halls. So what are we going to do? Are we going to stagger when classes are, are let go so that not all the kids are in the hallways at the same time during period changes? I mean, these are all really complex questions, but I, I my gut instincts are that without a vaccine in place, that we're really risking rise of infection rates across a large segment of the population. Because anybody, any parent knows you send your child back to school in September and they bring home all kinds of bugs and everybody is sick uh, throughout yeah. the fall. It might be different if we lived in, in a warmer climate where we would keep all the windows open, where we could move classes outside um, and, and, you know, create a level of safety through those measures. But in Canada, we can't do that. We can't have kids outside in, in January. We can't have all the windows open in the classroom and things like that. It just, it's just not feasible. Yeah, and as you say, too, um, it's going to create another spike. So we're going to see another spike. Uh, teachers are concerned, um, especially the sm of, of smaller kids, younger kids, who it's hard to uh, discipline them. They're going to see their buddies. They're going to be rumbling, you know, and... Uh, you know, playing in the hallway together. What do you do about recess? Yeah, it's it, and it also seems to become a becoming a highly politicized issue. In other words, I was reading um, a few articles in the in the papers talking about how the unions are using this as a negotiation point for their collective agreement. It does become very political, and and what's been absent for me is I really haven't heard much directly from teachers or directly from parents. I've heard lots from politicians. I've heard lots of uh, commentary from uh, you know, uh, union leaders and so forth. And I get that they're public figures and they're interviewed and the press wants to hear what they have to say. But what is conspicuously absent for me is the voice of parents and teachers. If I was a teacher, and as you know, I was a teacher for a great many years, uh, I wouldn't want to be going back to school because again, I have a family, I have children, I wouldn't want to risk bringing any kind of infections back to my home. And that's exactly what the teachers I talked to last night 
uh, said to me, you know, um, if, if they're going to go back to to work, that means, you know, no more going to Cornwall to see your aging mother because she's in a home and they won't let you come in, you know. Um, and uh, it's okay if you can be tested and get the results the next day, but it doesn't really work that way. In fact, in some parts of Toronto, they're having to redo everything because um, you, you, you go in to get tested and you don't find out for five days. Well, in that five days, you could have got the disease or if you had it, spread it already, right? So right. there need, needs to be better testing too, right? Especially for teachers and students. Yeah, and, and, and there's some question as to how effective the testing is as well. I mean, there are in many cases of people that have been tested have come out negative and yet they are actually carriers of the COVID-19 wow. virus. Yeah, I think what they need to do is they, they really need to put a national plan in together. Every province is doing something slightly different based on what the previous province has announced. And I think they need to maybe get our, our leading uh, medical advisors with educators across the country and say, look, we're now postponing the school year, let's say till January. But when we come back in January, we'll have consulted with, you know, doctors and other other professionals and uh, we'll have listened to the public and we'll have a much better plan. This, to me, seems to be like a really rushed plan. Oh, yeah, we're, we're starting in two weeks. Yeah, no, we've got everything under control. Yeah, and, and I just don't I just don't know. I mean, I don't have a lot of uh, friends that have children in the elementary level or even at the high school level now. So I really haven't had a chance to speak to somebody I know directly about their feelings. We know that universities, of course, have, have made the decision, and then they did so early on, to move to virtual learning. Um, so both my kids are, are going to be learning virtually this year. They're disappointed about it, but they understand it. But, it, of course, it's much easier because they're adults and they can look after themselves after school, and there's no, there's no additional daycare or care required for them. But I wonder, do you think the government has a role here? And we saw what the government has done with the CERB uh, benefit to help people that lose their jobs or, you know, lose their income. Is there something the government might do here that's along those lines that says, you know, we can provide funding for parents, you know, so either they can find uh, in-care or uh, care at, at their homes or... Um, somehow they can they have the wherewithal the the means to you know look after their child care needs. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I think the government needs to come out uh, and 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 look at this problem and say, look, let's get the provinces together. Let's get the top educators, the top medical professionals, and parent teacher groups, whatever, and let's look at a national strategy. And give yourself some time. Say, you know what? Sorry, kids, it's it's going to we're going to miss the first term for sure but we're looking at maybe starting the new starting the school year in uh, in classrooms maybe in the new year in january and then the government could do that of course government's just been prorogued but it's it's coming back at the end of september so depending on if they get a, a full confidence vote from the throne speech they could do something like that so i think that's that's the best way to to do it yeah i hope they they, they can think this through because right now no one's really happy. It's the top story on on the news at six uh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, part of me thinks when I was when I was a teacher, there was lots of discussion about change in the education model, 
and going to year-round schooling. And the way it would work was that schools would be open uh, all year, and you as a student or, or you as a family had the option of picking which terms your kids were going to attend school. In other, in other words, you could go, um, you could attend in the in the uh, fall and the winter and the um, and the spring as we do now, uh, or you could attend in the summer and the winter. You know, so that that you, schools are always operating, but kids don't always have to go to school at the same time. And I wonder whether that might be something worth considering now. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know this whole pandemic has has made us um, you know face realities that we've never we've never had to to do before, and it's a difficult thing. You know, I think about uh, being a parent of young kids now, and it, it it's got to be incredibly stressful. But in my mind, I mean, there there really is no option other than to keep your kids safe and to keep your family safe and to keep those around you that are close to your friends safe. And I, I just don't see sending kids back to school <laughs> as a really smart option, especially when we understand the science. We know that if we put a bunch of young kids in a classroom together, um, you know, confine them in there with the doors closed and the windows closed, that we're going to see a rise in the infection rates. It's inevitable. So I guess it's what is your risk tolerance for that? What's more important to you? And I mean, it really does come down to that fundamental question. Um, and regardless of how difficult it might be um, to have childcare or to work from home, you know, I mean, there are, I guess, you know, the other options that our employers have to be a lot more flexible um, and give, you know, people time to come home and look after their kids or, has bring their kids into work if necessary at the end of a school day. So everybody, I think, has to bend a little bit here. That's for sure. That's for sure. And I know that they were talking here um, in Ontario to Premier Ford the other day, actually yesterday, and some schools were saying, you know, we're our building's very old. You know, the windows don't open like that. So they've opened up the coffers and said, whatever you need to improve ventilation, to improve the safety, you've got it. But Josh Matlow used to be a, a, a school trustee and was with the city of Toronto and said, like, there's some schools that they don't have that option. The, the schools are that old. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, thanks for the extra money. Uh, what are they going to put more windows in? Well, and, you know, if you look at a parallel example with um, with the airlines, I mean, all of the airlines, Air Canada, uh, WestJet, et cetera, have all updated or apparently updated all of their ventilation systems on the planes, making it much safer. Uh, latest report I read said, well, you know, the real danger in flying is no longer the planes. The safest part of traveling is is the plane itself. But the problem is all the activities that go into getting on and off that plane. And so the same yeah. thing would apply in schools. Yes, we can make the building safer. Yes, perhaps we can make the classrooms uh, safer. But kids have to move between classes. Kids have to come to school and kids being kids will hang out with their pals, uh, will forget some of the things that they're being told about how they have to maintain safe social distances and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not the this, this school building necessarily or the individual classrooms that's going to be the problem. It's all the movement in between. And there are parents who are saying, I'm not sending my kids back. I just don't feel safe enough right now. And so, again, you're going to have... Um, as you say, a bunch of different groups, kids that are back at school, 
sharing the learning experience the way they used to. You're going to have kids that are at home missing out on that um, because their parents refuse to send them back. Yeah. And then, of course, the kids that, that can't go back to school because, yeah, they have immune-compromised systems, and, and, and that's a real problem. So, again, a part of me says this is not a good idea just from that standpoint. In other words, from the divisiveness that we're creating within society. Um, it's, it certainly will show us the um, socioeconomic uh, disparity that exists where we're, we're actually having to make decisions based on their economic means. Um, and again, you know, and then we have this group that are compromised and they really don't have a choice. It, those kids can't go back to school. So I'm just not sure that the overall outcome of this will be a positive one. I, I agree know. with you. We have a, a common friend um, who I spoke to the other day saying that his kids got asthma. So not, there's no way their kids going back to school. But, of course, the kid's upset because he wants to see friends, et cetera. Uh, you know, his thing was, well, why wouldn't they think of maybe putting all the asthma kids together and letting them go to, to a separate school or something like that, you know, um, taking extra, extra precautions. And uh, that, in some way, would, would free up class sizes. But even with the best laid plans, it's, it's, it's tough, right? And, of course... You know, kids aren't dying from from COVID, but it's the people that they have in their families or in their bubbles or their neighbors or whatever. Or again, it's the teachers and the administrators that uh, might be susceptible. Yeah. The obvious answer is we, at least one answer, is that we have to sort of move forward with online learning. And I know that that is uncomfortable for some students and for some teachers, but we certainly have the technology to do that. We certainly have the ability, and maybe that's where the government can step in in terms of providing um, those that don't have the access to the technology to make sure that they have computers or they have access to the internet. Because I really think there's been a lot of resistance towards online learning because it, it, I guess it sort of threatens the, the status quo, the way we've always done things, the culture. However, you know, we do know that in the future, remote work remote learning will be um, part of everybody's life. So we might as well use this opportunity to make sure that we're good at it and learn to be good at it. And I don't know why you can't do something like a Zoom classroom where the kids right. can be, be together and see, you know, see their friends in, in their homes or wherever. Uh, also learning and sharing that classroom experience online. Yeah, that's a great point. I actually did speak to one teacher who said, I don't see why, the same thing as you just said, I don't see why we can't create a virtual learning environment for students that is both synchronous, which means real-time, you know, like Zoom and, and like GoToMeeting and other things, other systems like that, combined with an asynchronous environment, which is the ability to do your work within uh, at any point in time, and it doesn't have, require that everybody be online at the same time. So some combination of the two makes a lot of sense. Because you're right, I mean, kids are pretty adept at using technology, maybe not necessarily for formal learning, but they're pretty adept at using technology. Um, Real-time video conferencing, why not? And, and you know, there are companies like Google who offer Google Hangouts this, this capability for free, so you don't really need to pay for it um, if you have a Google account. So there are, there are ways in which kids can be collaborating pretty inexpensively and effectively. But I agree with you. I mean, that's it, it. That is certainly one of the answers. 
But I think there's been so much resistance to it. And as you know, I know from Ontario, for example, that this was a pain point between negotiations between the, the province and the unions um, around online learning. And, and the premier in Ontario had, had basically said, look, I think every kid should be doing two online courses by the time they graduate. And and that we got a lot of pushback on that. He was um, given this was pre-pandemic, of course, so that he was pretty prophetic, um, because certainly after we uh, discovered the pandemic, then all of a sudden online learning uh, became that much more important. But I think that is one area that we really have to focus on, and people have to put aside their their politics um, and say, look, this is this is the most effective way to ensure that we keep kids um, in the same grades, learning together to see one another. It, it's going to take some effort on the on the part of students and, and, of course, and teachers who are not comfortable or have never done this before. But I don't really think we can bury our heads in the sand and say, well, we're not going to do that. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree with you. Well, it, it will be interesting to see what the end result is. And, and I think, you know, what you've said makes a lot of sense that, you know, we have to sort of do it in stages. So maybe we don't start school in September. Maybe we look at January 1st because at that point we'll have a better idea of this second wave or third wave of infection rates in the fall that they're predicting. We'll have a better sense if we don't see that, well then it's probably safer to start opening schools in January. If we do see a huge uptick in the infection rates, then maybe we just have to hold off until we have a vaccine. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's a big question, a big if that's out there, and uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe circle back for another episode and uh, and see what the end result was. Good idea. All right, Cammy. we'll see you next time. Talk to you soon.